whole bingo this, but this is being recorded, so you'll be able to go back and listen to it if it helps. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave a right to become children of God. If you know and love Jesus, if you're trying to seek to follow him, if you just that's what a Christian is, it's someone who just says, yes, Jesus, I'm going to try and follow you, like those early disciples, then you can become a child of God. That's the promise. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, because he's a good, good father. He works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. So if you're a Christian, if you, if you love Jesus and you have a pulse tonight here, you are called by name for a purpose. You're not just some random explosion of atoms that happened to pop along into the world one day and you accidentally just arrived. Um, God has a purpose for you. He intends you to do something. He's got a wonderful, glorious plan for your life. Are you in the middle of it? Well, you might be on the, on the edges of it. But actually, if we choose to tap into what God is doing and we yield our heart to him, then God takes us on this glorious, wonderful adventure. Will it always be easy, full of sunbeams and light? No, actually, at times it might be really challenging. At times there might be real problems that you face. That's the reality of life, isn't it? But God will be with you, and his purpose will always take you to a place of growth and blessing and fruitfulness. God is with you. That's some of the things that I'm going to talk to, to you about tonight. I mean, there's a whole load of other verses I could read, but that's just a little snapshot. Do you remember when you were little children? Many of you still are little children, if you're anything like me. But when you were a little child, did you enjoy dressing up? Yes. There's a few definite yeses around, and a few of the blokes are like, oh, yeah, but I'm not going to admit it publicly. A lot of the girls are like, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Dressing up as kids. I, I was a primary school teacher for a while. Uh, a whole lifetime of sermon illustrations from the few years I taught infant school children. We had the dressing up corner. And one of the biggest um, things that the year six kids hated was that the fact that they didn't have a dressing up corner in their class. You had these really sophisticated kind of, year, you know what I'm talking about, these really sophisticated year six kids who kind of love to be kind of really cool. And, but every now and then they would come down to help in the reception class. You know, these tough year six kids that have been thrown out for you know, gun running and things like that from their year six class. And they would bring them down to the reception class to just to kind of keep them out. And I'm not kidding you, without exception, the first thing that these bully, beefy year six kids would want to do is go in the dressing up corner, you know, to help the reception kids. But actually, they wanted to get dressed. There's something in us that kind of loves dressing up, taking on a persona. It's such, such, such fun for the Miranda fans in the, in the building. Um, you know, being a doctor or a teacher or a plumber or a vet or a superhero. For me, I, it was always wanting to be Luke Skywalker, dress up like him. I also loved being in the drama club. This may not surprise some of you when I was at school. I loved uh, drama and acting. It was uh, mucking about and doing funny accents. Those who are in the office know that that hasn't changed. Um, and I guess at some point, all of us here, all of you guys, probably will have assumed an identity or a character not of your own. It's kind of fun. This new year, in fact, um, we as a family decided to, well, actually it was me, so you blame me, decided to host one of these sort of murder mystery family parties. Um, we invited a load of friends over, and uh, it was one of those ones where everyone was assigned a character, and um, everyone had kind of, they were given a name and a persona and some kind of ideas of how they could dress up, and it was really good fun. So I was the butler, 
and because I've always fancied doing a bit of butling, so I was dressed up as a butler. Uh, Sarah down here, she was um, M. Fatal, that was her name. Smouldering eyes, red lipstick, killer dress. Uh, she was married to the widow. She was a widow, rather. She had been married to Lord Heathcote. He was the guy who had died, and that was that. There was um, a housemaid called Cinders. There was Miss Withering, who was a kind of overlooked secretary. There was Ford Escort, the chauffeur. There was Misty Visions. She was a very funny character. I won't say who she was, but she was, very, she was a terrifying mystic mad aunt, and um, she was brilliant. Um, but the best and most terrifying vision of dramatic excess was the Reverend Wilby Dunn, who was played by a certain Paul Wakeley. And um, I, I nearly bought the pictures to put up on the screen, but I thought it might be a bit too embarrassing for him. He had these twitches and these turns of phrase. Mm, bless you, bless you, bless you. Um, he, was, he had absolutely everyone in stitches, and he was far more realistic and convincing as a vicar than I will ever be. Um, and if you want to see the photos later on, I'm very happy to show you. It was very, very funny. He was brilliant taking on this persona. And it's fun doing that, right? It's a fun thing to do. Pretending to be someone else for an evening can be fun. But there's always the understanding that tomorrow, you know, we'll come and we'll be back to our normal selves. I think the problems really come, though, when we dress ourselves up with counterfeit identities and wear them on a regular basis. We believe, perhaps, that we're not enough. So we find ways to make ourselves appear better or stronger. And potentially, we can even end up getting trapped in that role, so much so in that kind of masquerade, that actually we begin to lose sense of who we really are, lose sight of that, or become too terrified or ashamed to step out of that role that we've become so good at because people would then see the real us. It's imposter syndrome, isn't it? People talk about it. And so many people I meet, and sadly it's true in church, and it was definitely true of me, are terrified about showing the real you because you feel inadequate or unworthy or just not quite up to the mark. And we can particularly feel that around Christians at times. We look around and we see all these radiant, shining Christians and we think, yeah, but I'm just not there. Some people do it in their work environment. A recent survey of 1,000 UK workers back in 2018 revealed that a staggering 92% had got away with lying on their CV. If you've ever seen The Apprentice, it's always hilarious, isn't it? At that moment when they look at their, kind of their, their CV and they start picking bits out. This last episode, this last series we watched, and one, it was quite staggering, the stuff that people had put on to make themselves sound really great, but actually were kind of not quite really true. It's so easy to do that, isn't it? In fact, one recruitment firm said that 40% of all resumes contain false information about age or experience or education or in an attempt to try and make themselves feel more significant, maybe get a better job. But others might live under a counterfeit identity by exaggeration or self-promotion or spreading gossip or sarcasm just in their life. For me, you know, it was about tearing other people down so that I would be okay. So for me, it was really about sarcasm. I use sarcasm because if people were laughing at other people, they weren't looking at me and they weren't laughing at me. The fear of not being enough. I wonder if any of you here struggle with that. And it can overflow into this false living. And then, of course, we live in days where identity theft is kind of, a, it's epidemic really, isn't it? And it's grown exponentially over the last 10 years. Maybe some of you here have experienced it, where you've had, you know, your identity stolen by someone. Because of the growth of online banking and online platforms and social media and digital pla platforms, it's massive now. In 2016, the cost of identity fraud in the UK was £4.5 billion. 
There's a lot of identity theft going on. People stealing our, ID, our, our, our identities and pretending to be us. But fake IDs and padded resumes and, and identity just aren't just social problems, which we know are out there, maybe some of us suffer. I think that they represent very real, very dangerous spiritual struggles with our identity that God really wants to get right to the root to. Sometimes we knowingly live duplicate kind of imitation lives, if you like. <clears throat> we act one way with one group of people and then quite differently with another. Sometimes we're in our nice Christian world being nice and Christian and then we step out of that and actually inside we're anger, angry or bitter or hopeless or boiling over with frustration and pain towards God and other people. But we hide it because I can't show that to the world. I can't show that to the Chris, my Christian friends. I can't show that to God because it diminishes me. And I think we're highly prone, particularly when we fail to give our hearts fully to God in that vulnerable way, to become victims of identity theft in a spiritual sense. Because, this is really important, the devil, the enemy of God, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy us with his lies and his accusations. He seeks to diminish you in order to diminish what God wants to do. These are really real enemies in our lives. You've heard people talk about them, the world, the flesh, and the devil. All of those things can seek to discourage you and dishearten you from living in the fullness of who we are in Christ. See, the world will often, I've talked about this before, seek to compress and mold and shape you into its image. Media does that. Social media does that. The pressure to look a certain way, the pressure to sound a certain way, the pressure to not be different, to not stand up for Christian values, but to actually just conform, be silent. Don't say that. You're not allowed to have that opinion. I don't care what the Bible says. That's wrong. Diminish, silence you, mold you, shape you. And our human nature often kind of presses in on us and forces us to act in ways that maybe we don't want to. St. Paul talks about that, doesn't it? The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. My body pushes in. And really importantly, Satan reminds us of past sins and present failings in an attempt to paralyze us in our faith. Remember, Jesus warns us, the thief, he says, this is in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what the enemy of your hearts wants to do. Steal, kill, and destroy. But I, said Jesus, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. So really, I want to do an introduction, which is all about identity theft. There is a battle raging for your soul to steal your identity, who you really are. Over you, you have your name written over you. God has called you. God loves you. God wants to use you. God wants to for you to make an impact for his kingdom. You are unique. No one ever before and no one ever after you will be like you. You're amazing. That's what the Bible says. You are amazing. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has a purpose for you, but the enemy wants to steal that from you. He wants to take away your identity, to mess up your identity, to rob you. Galatians 5.1 is really key in all this. Galatians 5.1 says this. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's a freedom. That's really good news. Freedom. Do you long for that? Freedom. I remember a time in my life when I just 
ached to feel free. I didn't feel free. I didn't know what freedom was, but it was a word that I kind of ran after. I wanted to be free. I guess deep down I knew I wasn't free. I knew that something had to change. I just didn't know what, how, when, where. I just knew it, knew it did. The really good news is that it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It isn't for church attendance, although it's good to go to church. It isn't to make you read the Bible, although reading the Bible is good. It's not to make you look spiritual. It was for freedom Christ set you free. He wants you to be free. Why? Because he loves you. Not because he wants to get a kind of tick on his spiritual tick list. Yeah, Tim Buckley, I've got him free. Go next. No, because he loves me. I love my kids. I've said before, I would die for my kids. I love them. I long them to reach the potential they can. I long for them to fly. Sarah and I talk about this a lot. Our, our eldest daughter, our only daughter, our daughter's flown back to Scotland today, so she literally has flown. Um, she's gone back to Scotland. And part of our heart aches because Ellie's no longer at home. She's, if any of you know Ellie, she leaves quite a big space because she's full of life and joy and vibrancy and opinions, right? I mean, opinions this Christmas, so many opinions. Especially now she's been to university and thinks she thinks she knows everything in Edinburgh. But when she goes, she leaves this massive hole because her heart yearns. She's my baby. She's my babe. She's gone back. But actually, I long for her to go whilst grieving that she's gone because that's her destiny. That's her calling. I want her to experience life in all its fullness. That's what a father wants. And it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. That's his purpose. That's God's heart for you, not to remain enslaved, yoked or burdened, encumbered by chains, by the past, he doesn't want you to feel lost or confused. He doesn't want you to feel like you've got a, a stolen identity. Your destiny in God is to be free and to experience freedom. And I don't know what that's going to look like for you because it will look different for every single person. But your father really does know what it should look like. But in reality, it's a battle. And many of us here have experienced that battle. It's a, strung, it's a struggle sometimes to remember who we are in Christ. And so I would suggest we need a biblical understanding of identity to guard our hearts, to protect us, to bring revelation to our minds and our hearts as we seek to walk with God. And additionally, really importantly, I would suggest that we really, really need power encounters with the Holy Spirit to bring that truth to life. So you can read the Bible, and it's brilliant. Do that. It's really fantastic. And you can read the words, and there are power in reading those words. And you can speak those words out, and that, there is power in that. Because God's word is alive. We know it's powerful. It's like a two-edged sword, the Bible says itself. It, it's powerful. But if we just hold on to words on their own, then there could be dry, dusty words. But when the Holy Spirit comes alongside and breathes life into you and into those words, then we have real power. We need to have power encounters with the Holy Spirit to bring that truth to life in a real personal and deeply transformative way. Because it's not simply about knowledge, about information, but it's about the heart and the mind, transformation. And that's why we as a church here, we've embraced and giving shape to a course that we've kind of recently started, a set of teaching and ministry of biblical truth and spiritual encounter with the Holy Spirit. And we've called it Thrive. Transforming hearts, restoring identity, victorious encounters. Because I personally, as a church leader, I am utterly convinced of this, that I can only lead and help people to go 
to places that I've gone to myself. I've known what it is as I've grown up in many different churches and kind of was released to preach at a young age and God is really kind, isn't he? And God was able to do things. But I know I stood on a platform many times and told people what they should be doing, knowing full well that I hadn't really done them myself. And it was true what I was saying and hopefully it was helpful because God's kind. But if I talk about having your heart transformed and yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit and soaking in his presence and, and being healed, but actually I haven't let my own heart be healed then I don't think there's any integrity in that at all. Now, I'm not the full deal. Those of you who know me <laughs> know I'm not there. But we're all on a journey. But I'm so convinced of this. My prayer over the last two or three years has been, Lord, I'm really messed up. Lord, I know there are parts of my life that are not free. I know I've got chains. I know I've got history. And I've experienced incredible healing and breakthrough. But God, I know there's got to be more. Because I'm not the person yet who I think you want me to be. I'm a shadow of who you want me to be. And that's partly because I've pulled back from you, Father. So help me to yield my heart fully to you so that you can go to the deep places in my heart. So we've, we're kind of working with Paul and others. We've kind of got this brilliant teaching and ministry that we call Thrive. I'll say it again, Transforming Hearts, Restoring Identity, Victorious Encounters. And we're going to be running this and many other training things in the church here. But we so believe that we as church leaders, we as a team... We, we've gone through it ourselves. We're going through it. We've got another session coming up at the end of the month. And I think that's really important. So we can go, Lord, here we are with our weaknesses, with our strengths. Lord, what do you want to do in my heart? Where do you want to unlock me and heal me? And I suspect until I take my final breath on this earth, that will be my constant prayer. Because God doesn't wham us in a second. Yes, I'm a new creation, but I'm also a work in progress. And God's kind. He takes us through series of healing and stages of transformation and unlocks things in my heart that yield new fruit. Let me read an introduction uh, paragraph that's in the booklet that we've written for this weekend. And we give to everyone who's on, the kind of on these Thrive Weekends. It says this, We're all in the process of being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. None of us have made it because it's a lifelong journey. In his great love for you, God is committed to finishing what he started because his son won it all for us on the cross. I love that. That's true. We're on a journey. We're all on a journey. And my sense is this year in 2020, God is going to take us all on a journey, individually, but also together. Here at St. Matt's and in the city, God's taken his people on a journey into greater wholeness, into greater freedom, into greater experience of his life. Because it's only when you're truly free that you can experience the fullness of his life. Because when we're not free, God speaks words of love to us, but the enemy shouts in our ear, you're rubbish, you're worthless. How could he love you? Look at you, what a mess. Our shame, our history, our brokenness, our pain, our anger, our resentment, our bitterness, our unforgiveness kind of often drowns out the heart of God. So God wants to reach in and bring healing to us. Um, apparently, I was reading today that, that there's really strong 80-mile-an-hour winds due to hit lots of parts of the UK tonight and tomorrow. Um, and we all know that there are gales that do come. And many of us here in this room, I know, personally have experienced great trauma and storms that have hit us. And sometimes knocked us sideways, completely out of the blue. And they leave wounds and they leave scars. But only an assured, confident identity in Christ will be the fixed anchor that holds us. 
when those storms come. And those storms will come. I believe there's storms coming to the UK, to the West. Some ways we need to be shaken out of our complacency. And sometimes, weirdly, it's in the storms that we see the true reality of how things are. It's really interesting what's happening in Iran at the moment. Scary. I've had conversations, I was down in Whitcomb Junior School, with working, uh, I'm a governor down there, and some of the kids were saying, do you think there's going to be a World War III? This was when Iran and the US were kind of butting heads together. And it would be easy to go, no, no, there's not going to be a war. I don't know that I can make that sort of promise to people glibly. I believe that God's in control. But I believe there are storms coming. And yet in Iran, which is a country under massive persecution, under massive torment, under massive oppression, I was with uh, someone this week, some of us church leaders were with someone this week who was sharing that he'd been with some Iranians. The Iranian church, the underground hidden church, is exploding at the moment, mainly led by women. I love that. In a Muslim country where there's so much oppression, the, the, the church in Iran is vibrant and growing under terrible persecution, but exploding. There's life. And I've shared before, I've, I've heard some stories in Iran of imams having visions of Jesus coming to Christ. God is doing something, but it's not in a nice, fluffy, lovely, comfortable context. It's where hell is breaking loose, and yet heaven is breaking in with more power. Because the kingdom of God is advancing. And the enemy rages and rails but can't have his way against. The kingdom of God is advancing. The gates of hell won't prevail against the kingdom. And God wants you and I to join in that great adventure in being part of what he's doing in these days. Because I believe God wants to do something remarkable in our days and in our city. And I don't want to be a spectator on the outside looking in and going, well, look at what God's doing. That was exciting for those guys over there. I want him to do it here. That's why when Sarah starts talking about healing, I get excited because I've seen ludicrous healings. Sarah, you know, she's going out to India in a couple of weeks. And I know with kind of others here who've been to India, she came back sharing stories of blind people getting their sight back and people, the, the lame being healed. And I think, Lord, that's amazing in India, but I'd really love it in Southgate. I'd love it on our streets here. And we do see those things, but we need more. And I don't want to be a spectator I want to be involved because I believe that's God's call for me, but it's also God's call for you. There's not a select A team in the kingdom. That may come as a shock to you. You know, there's not the kind of the crack troops that go out and do all the mission and evangelism, all the sexy healing and transformation and miracles, and the rest of the plebs just get to watch and applaud on the sidelines. It's not supposed to be like that. As I've said before, if you have a pulse, and you love Jesus, you're in. That's it. Really? That can't be right. No, no, that's it. But I don't know the Bible very well. doesn't matter. God will help you with that. Yeah, but I'm not a very good speaker. That's all right. There's a whole line of people in the Bible who aren't very good speakers. God uses those. You know, Moses, he was quite effective in what he did. God takes the weak things to shame the wise. God takes the, fo- the foolish things to shame the wise and the weak things to shame the strong. So if you feel weak and foolish, man, that's a great credential right there. God wants to use you. And if you yield to him, God will. But there's a journey towards a further being used by God. And that begins with our own hearts. You know, we've often prayed the prayer, Lord, send revival. There was that great song, wasn't it? Martin, was it Martin Smith's song, Lord, send revival. But start with me. There's real wisdom in that prayer. Lord, I long to see revival, but I know I have to have a revival in my own heart. 
my first love sometimes grows cold. And there are casualties, and there is pain on the way, and there are many people who suffer a great cost, and we need to remember them, the persecution in the church. But there will always be ultimate victory in Christ. And he is our rock. He is the one who holds us in the storms. Our identity needs to be in Christ. That needs to be what shapes us and what holds us and what frees us to become the people we were always supposed to be. It's what truly empowers us. Paul told the Colossians in Colossians 1.17, speaking of Jesus, <clears throat> he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So when it feels like everything in your life is falling apart or in your circumstances falling apart, then look to Christ because he's going to be the one who holds all things together. Nothing else, not a pension, not a better paid job, not a new relationship, not a financial security, not a bigger house or a bigger car or a bigger TV or a bigger wife. None of those things are going to really hold you permanently and eternally with real strength. Christ will. It's his job. He loves to. He's before all things, and in him, all things hold together. So this year, we're going to go on an adventure together to rediscover the real you. And that's an adventure, I would suggest. And I'm going to discover the real me, more of who I really am supposed to be. The one Father always intended you and me to be. The one he always intended to bless the world. The blueprint that God had for your life. The design that God had, the perfect design by the Father in heaven who saw your unformed body in your mother's womb and has ordained the, and written in the book of life the days of your life. Because I think there are two really big questions that we want to look at, and we're going to look at it over the next term. Two questions that we're going to look at, and we're going to look at it in different ways. Two really big questions I think are the heart of everything and probably everybody. Maybe most people aren't aware that these are the questions that kind of hold them and captivate their thoughts and their minds. But I would contend that they're at the heart of all you and most people think and dream about. Here are the two questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Who am I? Why am I here? It's that simple. Two really big questions. That's what consumes most people. It's what we chase after, it's what frustrates us, it's what often, so often eludes us. And you know what's really, really wild, what's really, really crazy, is that I believe that God wants to give you the answers to both those questions. God wants to tell you who you are, and he wants to tell you why you're here. And in fact, he's the only one who can. So it's a really good idea to go to him and yield to him so that he can speak to you. And if we assume those two questions are the ones that you're made for, they're, they're central in your becoming who you're supposed to be, one of the most terrifying, soul-destroying, and most effective tools the enemy can use against us is the twisting of your identity or the stealing of your identity because it stops you finding out who you really are and what you're made for. By the age of 20, I was thoroughly confused about God. I knew he was there. I believed in him. I believed in the cross. I'd become a Christian. But I was really confused about God, who God had made me and why he had made me. And there was a huge disconnect between the spiritual life I grew up in and the spiritual life that I had yielded to, knowing Christ, following the cross, even encountering the reality of the Holy Spirit, although I had lots of questions about that too, 
but so much didn't make sense to me because I felt afraid, I felt alone, I felt vulnerable, I felt weak, I felt really deeply insignificant and didn't know what life was about for me. And even though I was really good at hiding that, so no one really around me particularly knew, I could, I could conform to the context I was in, so people didn't know I was brilliant at entertaining people. I was, I was even competent at leading stuff, so looking like I knew what I was talking about. Some of you may think that's still the case. But I continually felt like an outsider, looking in on other people and feeling disconnected from it. And I suppose I felt lost, and I certainly felt unknown. I felt unknown, truly unknown by other people. I didn't know myself. And if I'm honest, I didn't really know that God knew me. But love will continually seek you out. That's what love does. Corinthians talks about this kind of gloriously powerful healing love. Love which doesn't delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. One that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God loves never, God's love never fails. So if you're feeling vulnerable or lost or scared or fearful or confused or angry or bitter or resentful or numb, the good news is there's a God who wants to hunt you down. Not to make you do stuff or to sort you out, but because he loves you and he wants you to be free. That's the journey we're on. Love came and rescued me. It was a journey, but there were real moments of blinding breakthrough when this blinding bright light broke through my foggy, uncertain world. And I'm so thankful to God for the, for the healing heart, the, the father heart he showed me. I didn't know God really was a father. I knew he was Father God, but I didn't know he was a father. I didn't know the depth of his father heart for me. And the Holy Spirit set me on a journey to discover who I was who I was always meant to be before the world, the flesh and the devil screwed me up and screwed up my blueprint. And my confused, crumpled identity began to become unraveled and smoothed out by the Father's beautiful hands, healing hands, the good, good Father who began to show me what I was made for. It's not a complete journey. I'm still discovering. And still I have days when God says, I want you to do this. I want you to become this person. I say, but I can't. I'm not able. I'm not ready i'm not worthy and god says no that's that's why god does that with us he's so gracious and gradually after years of seeking approval from so many other people the only approval that now really matters to me is from the one who created me my identity and i'm on that journey but my identity rests in the truth that i'm a son of the king and if you know jesus you're my brother you're my sister, because you're a son of the king too. We're family. You're a princess. You're royalty. You're to be esteemed and honored. That's why I started by praying for Whitcomb Baptist and for freedom and for All Saints Western and for Life Church as it is now. Why? Because they're my brothers and sisters. They're royalty. How could I ever speak badly about a son or a daughter of the king? The enemy wants to make us feel powerless dehumanize us and when we feel powerless we kind of we lose hope we get manipulated by the enemy that's what happened to Eve in the garden of Eden do you remember Satan lies to her and her his words penetrate her heart and she begins to doubt God's goodness maybe some of you here you kind of you're not sure that God really loves you life doesn't kind of paint that picture for you that 
does God really love me? If he did, then this wouldn't happen. And we begin to listen to the lies the enemy says, he doesn't love you. See, look at your life. He doesn't love you. Eve's whole identity is thrown into confusion because she believes the lie about God. God doesn't love you. You're not worth anything. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. When, of course, God only has your best interest at heart, nothing else. Because he's the good, good father. And once she doubted her value to God, well, the rest is history, isn't it? Slip into sin, disobedience, shame, fear, isolation, exile. And maybe for you, that's your story. It certainly was my story. The good news is God wants to set us free from all that. So I'm going to finish with this. Because there's a solution. Over the coming few weeks, we're going to look at who you are, who I am. And we're going to do four topics. And then we're going to think about what you're here for, but the four topics for who you are. You are completely justified, never condemned. Your beloved children, not rejected. You're his son or daughter. You're not an orphan or a slave. And you're his friend forever, not his servant. That's such good news, all those things. That's what we're going to explore. Remember who you are. It's so easy to lose hope We haven't got time to look at it, but in 1 Kings 17 and 18, Elijah, this incredible man of God who for three years kind of um, stood against King Ahab and in the midst of a famine and there's all these incredible stories, the prophets of Baal and all this. You're a mighty man of God, incredible, doing great ventures for, for, for God, you know, roaring on behalf of God and his kingdom. But there came a point when he was emotionally really tired, spent, vulnerable, a bit burnt out. And he forgot who he was. And Jezebel, if you know that story, she kind of speaks words to penetrate his heart and to rob everything from him. Identity theft. Elijah goes from being this great warrior to this terrified, weak, insipid, scared coward. Identity stolen. Became depressed, ran away, hid, wanted his life to end. Blamed God. Hated everything. Elijah needed to be reminded who he was. He needed to have an encounter with God and God to restore him. That was in the Old Testament. For you and me, God wants to restore the identity that's been stolen from you to help you see who you truly are. That you're not a victim. You're called to be a minister. You're not worthless. You're full of glorious treasure, full of worth to your father. That you're not rejected. You're loved. You're not an orphan. You're a child of the king. You're a son. You're a daughter. God is the restorer of our hearts and our souls. God can, will, and wants to restore you. He wants our lives to be on a firm foundation, settled on who we are in Christ, knowing who we are, not just up here, but down here. When when the storms come, it can't be stolen from you. So we're going to do that over these few weeks. We'll have time for prayer ministry. I'd encourage you, if you're on that journey yourself, try and spend some time with God. Try and spend time listening to him. Get some worship to listen to when you're driving or when you're just on your own. Do a bit of soaking with some really helpful Bethel or Hill songs worship, whatever floats your boat. So listen to some worship. And in those times, say, Lord, would you help me begin to see if there are any lies that I believed about myself, to be able to hear what you think about me. Ask him to speak his words of love to you. We're going to share communion as we close. And uh, in a moment, we're going to do that. We're going to break bread and wine together.